everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I'm an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. And welcome to Season 2. I don't think podcasts really have seasons, but, you know, it's my show. I'll do whatever I want. So, therefore, it's Season 2. <laughs> uh, looking back, um, we're going strong. You know, I started to think, what, last November? And honestly, the plan was to do about 10 episodes. I was like, let's see if we can get some people to call. And uh, so I called it the lighter side to really get to know people. Um, I like a true crime documentary like everybody, you know, um, hear about the crimes and serial colors and this and that. Um, but I didn't want to be like every other podcast, whether they're just reading Wikipedia, maybe having a glass of wine, you know, having a drink, talking about the cases. And that's cool. I mean, I, I like that. I enjoy that, too. But I wanted to do something a little different. You know, I mean, not too many podcasts actually have serial killers to call the show. Uh, maybe one or two here and there, but I'm pretty much unique in what I do. Um, but I want to get to know them as people because um, the documentary just, you know, focus on the, the crimes, um, you know, the blood and guts of everything. And I get it. You know, there's an audience for that, too. And there's, you know, I don't mind that myself. Um, but who are they? Because most of the documentaries, they don't interview them or, or very rarely. I mean, very rarely do they interview them. And if they do, it's kind of like an agenda. It's almost like a hit piece. They want, oh, we're, we, I know there's more bodies and, and looking down on them um, for who they are. Not really knowing, but just for the crime itself, just purely looking down on them. So they're not going to open up to you and because they know they're looking across the table from somebody, you know, or through the glass, you know, or over the phone or however they're getting interviewed. They know the person on the other end uh, of the line or across from them from the glass um, that they're looking through at the prison facilities hate them. They despise them. Why do I want to be nice to a person like that? Why do I want to open up my soul to somebody like that? You know, nine times out of ten, almost ten times out of ten, they're not getting any money. They're not getting paid for that. Um, so they're not really who they are as a real person. So that's what I wanted to do is and really get to know, I mean, I personally do get to know these men and women uh, over the course of many years, um, who they are as a person. You know, we don't talk about the crimes, you know, very, very rarely. Uh, we just talk about life, how they're doing, uh, what parts of rehabilitation work for them. Because that's my biggest thing. If you read my books, it's about positive change in people's lives. That's why it's called the lighter side of serial killers. Um, what in rehabilitation works, what doesn't work, um, and, and just the ins and outs of, you know, prison facilities, what they're doing with their lives from their artwork, uh, writing music or lyric, whatever it may be. Um, so that's why I do what I do. Uh, if you're a first-time listener to the show, Thank you. Thank you very much. If you go back and listen to everything, and once in a while I'll go back and listen to like the first couple episodes with just you know a handheld recorder and a speakerphone. You know, recording from the speakerphone of my cell phone, you know, and going in that in my upstairs in my studio and getting Pro Tools open and having to re say all my questions in the microphone. The same, you know, same questions that I asked, you know, on the phone, but the voice is all messed up. So editing and editing and editing. Now I'm like a legit professional podcast studio with all the bells and whistles and uh, much higher quality in audio. Uh, so it's, I'm having a lot of fun. Hopefully it's much clearer now. I'm really the first couple episodes were, you know, a little wonky as far as recordings, but I thought they still came out pretty clear from what I had to work with. Um, but not no more. We're in the big leagues, kid. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you're a first time listener, thank you so much. And long time listeners, we thank you. Um, so I appreciate it and all the support. Uh, and we're still going strong. I've recorded a bunch of episodes already. Um, but tonight for episode one of season two, somebody I've been talking to for a while, uh, William Howell, um, you might've heard a book, uh, that was written about him called his garden. 
And we're going to get into that. You know, he supposedly named his his dump site uh, for the bodies, um, the burial ground, his garden. And we're going to come to find out that it's not true at all. And the lady who wrote the book about him uh, took a lot of liberties. And she says right in the beginning of the book, half this crap ain't true. Basically what she said, she fictionalized so much of it. Um, and it really upset Bill. Uh, it's one of the reasons, you know, he wants to come on to the podcast, straighten some things out. Because uh, initially he had no no plans of coming and doing the podcast. Um, and he said, I don't, you know, reach out to these people to do my podcast. You know, I reach out to see if I can make positive change in people's lives and get to know them on a personal level. Um, and I got to know Bill for a while. Uh, we have great conversations. Uh, and those of you, you know, I give, you know, he asked for a couple of pen pals and, you know, some of my select friends I, I thought would be a good match uh, to write him. Um, they realized, too, you know, his sense of humor. And he was real nervous about coming on. And uh, I was hoping that his sense of humor would really come out. To get to know him as a person, no matter what his past is or what his crimes were, it's about getting to know them, uh, you know, despite, you know, what they've done in the in the past. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that and his crimes. Uh, so without further ado, let's get to it. It's William Howe. We're just kind of talking about pen pals. And... Uh, when did yeah. you when did you start noticing? Obviously, we were we were joking, well, kind of joking, you know how people fade in and out. They seem like real happy to you know write you, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Getting to know you, and then after a couple letters, like they'll just disappear. Has it always been like that, or is that something more more recent in the last couple of years? No, I've pretty much always been like that ever since uh, you know my notoriety hit or whatever. People write <clears throat> a lot of them only write once, you know what I mean, and. I usually write everybody back that writes me, and uh, they seem to get a letter back, and then I never hear back from them again. And others, you know, will write for, you know, two or three letters, and then some others will write for a few months, maybe six months. And <clears throat> But they all seem to have their ulterior motives, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's a few here and there that, that seem to be pretty genuine, but after a while, even even they drop off. So, you know, life's a busy world out there, you know. People don't know what kind of or whatever. So. Yeah. I mean, why do you think that is, too? I mean, I, obviously, someone writes it once and disappears, or probably, you know, the, the autograph seeker, so to speak. Um, yeah. But, but there's some, and we don't have to mention names, but I know people who, you know, obviously who wrote you, they seem like really excited. Oh, I can't wait to talk to them. And even they kind of faded out. You think it's more like a. I mean, yeah, I think. I think what it is is they have this this expectation or this this preconceived persona of what a serial killer should be like or, or the excitement of it all or something and, and the shine just wears off, you know what I mean? It's it's hard mm-hmm. to meet up to live up to somebody's expectation of their preconceived ideas of, of what writing somebody in here would be like, you know, yeah. and, um, I, I consider myself just, you know, a, a normal guy that just did some fucked up shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but and it's funny cause I, I it's, 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 yeah, go ahead. When, when they write and, and, um, just come across as, as a normal person, it, I just feel like, you know, the shine wears off and, you know, they're like, I don't know, it doesn't meet their expectations and they just, you know, they get tired quick. Yeah. 
And it's funny. I mean, I, I can see that because people all the time, and they know what I do, and I've been doing it, you know, for like 20 years, more than that, 20, 25 years. They're like, how can you talk to somebody like that? And what do you even talk about? I'm like, we just joke around, you know? <laughs> we just laugh and have, you know, yeah. have a good time and just kind of be silly. That's right. I think their impression is, you know, that, you know, that you lived under a cave and you got drool coming out of your mouth and you're like the big bad boogeyman. And even the people that I know who write you, and I said, like, hey, you want, you know, pen pal, you can write this person, that person. Um, and like, what's it like? I'm like, it's like I'm talking to you. I mean, yeah, there's some that, you know, yeah. they have, they have, you know, they have definite mental issues and it's a whole, that's a different story. But for, especially for you, I tell them, it's just like talking to, to not just a normal person, but, you know, he's funny. You're going to laugh. You're going to joke around. But I think, yeah, because I got so many messages saying, oh, what's it like to talk to so-and-so? I'm like, normal. So, yeah, I can definitely see that where they're, I don't know what they're expecting, some kind of extra incitement. And But, yeah, it's just like a normal person. Yeah, I mean, people like to judge, especially the men. I blame a lot of it on the media, too documentaries and movies and books written about people and they they portray them as like the big bit like especially when the silence of the lambs came out you know with the hannibal lecter character was around the same time jeffrey dahmer was out there so instantly everybody made this connection of you know like the big again i always say the big bad boogeyman but uh if it's not it's just i mean in nine times out of ten it's really not like that when you're talking to somebody but have you had anybody who uh who stayed with you for uh almost like from the beginning or have you got? Let me ask you this: When was the first time you started getting letters? Like once you got to the the facility itself, like almost instantly, or like, like fan mail, so well, to speak, or that really? Probably a, a couple of weeks after the uh, after after my later cases made the big news in uh, twenty thousand fifteen mm-hmm. or whatever, when I was arrested for all the ad- additional murders or whatever. That's uh, when I really started getting inquiries and. People wanting to write books and news people wanting inside stories and, uh, yeah. you know, they mm-hmm. and this and that, and, you know, people wanting hand prints and, you know, it's just, yeah. I've heard <laughs> letters of mine being yeah. offered for sale on the internet and, yeah. you know, everybody has their, their, their own motives, you know, but that's, that's when I really started getting all the, all the, I, can't really say fan mail, but mail from mail from people I have no, never even met in my life. Yeah. Uh, that's when I started getting all the mail, and I've had a few over the years that that have wrote me for years. I've I've got two or three that that have written me for years, and I still get mail from them. I got a piece of mail today from, ironically, an ex prostitute that was working in the area where I was committing my crimes and, oh, and I had actually picked her up and she remembered me when she saw me on the news, she remembered me and she remembered my van and, and started writing me and, and was amazed because she, she couldn't believe she couldn't believe the media because her and I never had a bad experience. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So oh, that's, that's crazy. That's luckily wild. She's, she, up her life she's married now she's got kids and you know she's she's living a clean and sober life now and wonderful you know she she reached out she's been writing me for a few years now oh that's great oh that's definitely good yeah i don't hear from her that often i might mm-hmm. get a letter every three or four months or something like that but you know she reaches out every once in a while and 
That's good. I know obviously one of the ones who reached out earlier was the the woman who wrote the book about you. And uh, we've talked about it you yeah. know, numerous times where – and I've told people, you know, who, who once they knew, you know, that we became friendly, you know, over the past few months or so. I don't know, maybe about a year now, whatever it was um, or has been. And I'll tell people, it's like, oh, I read the book. I'm like, forget about everything you read in that book. You know, <laughs> there's going to be – there's some factual things certainly in the book. But anytime a book starts out with – I made a lot of this stuff up. It's basically how the book started. There's a lot of stuff in this yeah. book that I'm taking liberties on. And I mean, like full blown conversations, like with you and the, you know, the, the jailhouse rat, so to speak. Like, like she's putting in quotes. Yeah, my, like in, my understanding crazy. is she used a lot of creative liberties in the book. And, and I have not read the book personally. They won't allow me to read the book book's not allowed in any of the Connecticut prisons, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. So I really have no idea what's in the book, other than she mailed me the pre-final manuscript, and in that, some of the stuff that she wrote that she had creative liberties with, I just found ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> the way conversations came about, and, and conversations that she had made up Picturing, picturing certain conversations in her mind and the way that she de- depicted them was just seemed ludicrous to me. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know, and I like I say I critiqued them, but I don't know what she changed or what she didn't change, what went into the book, what didn't go into the book, because mm-hmm. I haven't had access to it, so I, I can't fully really say. But I know from reading the final manuscript before it went to publisher. There, there was a lot of stuff in there that was just fantasy. Yeah. It was, it was her fantasy in her mind that she put on the page. No, for sure. I mean, there's a lot, even just the, the mean you talked about. I mean, not just the conversation with you and the one guy at the prison, you quote unquote confessing everything to him, but she's writing in quotes, like this is exactly what you said, exactly what he said. I'm like, there's, there's no way. Or that she said, you know, the the nickname, right. the nickname that you gave the van, or the nickname you gave the site. You know, behind the convenience doors, you know where the bodies were found. Then you're saying she basically made up all those names. Like you never called it. You know, well, no, I can't. I can't say that she made that up. It was made up, yes, but it was made up by a lot of what she printed were the statements of jailhouse snitches, as reported by the prosecution and leaked to the media. So. Jailhouse snitches made up the fact that I, I refer to my van as the murder mobile and the area where I buried the bodies at as my guard. All mm-hmm. that's fictitious. I've never referred to my van as the murder mobile, and I've never referred to the area where, where I buried my victims at, as my garden. Yeah. But that was made up by inmates and reported to the prosecution because they wanted time off their sentence. All she did was roll with the lies that were made up. Mm-hmm. I cooperated with her because I believed that that was my way of correcting a lot of the stuff that was being reported in the media that was false. And I believe what she did is she just ended up rolling with the falsities that were reported in the media and, and not correcting any of that. Or she'd write about it, and then she'd write a little footnote at the bottom of the page I heard, so Howard disagrees with this. 
You know what I mean? After she tells this whole fictitious story that was made up either by her or by somebody else because some things she did make up, like conversations. I heard there was a conversation between me and my girlfriend or whatever she had wrote in the book. And that, that was all made up out of her mind or, or another scenario she created when I was burying the bodies in the woods or whatever. That was all in her mind. But the, the fact of the, uh, my referring to the area as, um, as, as my, uh, my garden or my van is the murder mobile that was made up by jailhouse snitches that were trying to testify against me in order to get time off of their sentence or favor with parole board or, or anything like that. And they were just making stuff up. And the way the courts work is, the prosecutor will put anybody on the stand that is willing to say anything bad about you and leave it up to the jury to decide. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's basically what they were doing. They were making up stories that couldn't be substantiated, saying that I said this or I said that. Yeah. And a lot of it got leaked to the press, in my opinion, to taint jury pools. And uh, she just went with the information, that the false information that was reported and just repeated a lot of it in her book yeah, it sells books sometimes the truth isn't as good as the uh sells books. The, the, yeah the uh exactly too much fiction's better than the truth so. <laughs> it sells better but, yeah and then yeah. i i just put up on my phone just so you know those who are you know going to listen to this um know what we're talking about in the beginning of the book in the preface it's a whole paragraph basically saying that a lot of this is not going to be true and I'll just talk about it. It says, like all forms of art, true crime literature seeks to capture what is non-decipherable, paradoxically, without, fab- without fabricated layers of myth and conjecture. Truth late bear is not really truth at all. Come on. And at some point in the creative process, the questioning and ruminations of the author and the reader combine to create a unique perception of reality. Come on. I mean, she's saying she's making it up at the beginning of the book. And it's more, I'm just, I just read a small portion of it. But she's saying, she's spicing it up. You know, exactly what she said. She's like, we, I have an artistic liberty to basically make crap up to make it sound better. That's, yeah. that's what she said. And it, which is silly because well, there's plenty of facts to have a good book. <laughs> you know, there's plenty yeah. in there, you know, to, to just, to, you know, to have a good, good selling book. So it's it just, it's just ridiculous. So I, I just don't understand why. I, I, I kind of wish I would have never cooperated with her in the book. But the reason I cooperated was because there were a lot of things that just weren't true that were being reported to the media. And it really upset me because I always looked at it like this. My truths are ugly enough mm-hmm. without people having to make up lies to sell a book or to get a rating, yeah. or or to taint a jury. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was exactly what was happening. Yeah, Jailhouse snitches would come forward and say, I said this, I said that, which was all bullshit. And, and the prosecutor would take that and leak it to the press, and once it hits the press, it's reported as fact. You know what I mean? It's reported mm-hmm. as I really said those things, mm-hmm. and the public perceives it as such. Oh yeah. When it was, 
when it was all bullshit made up by some scumbag inmate that wants time off his sentence or, or favor with the future parole board or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it really bothered me because, again, I feel like my troops are ugly enough without being mucked up by yeah. a lot of stuff that isn't true. And I have no, I have no issue. I mean, I, I pleaded guilty. I committed my crimes. I'm not one sitting in here. Oh, I didn't do it. I'm innocent and all this. I committed my crime mm-hmm. and, and I can own the things that I've done, but I refuse to own up to things that I didn't do. Of course. And, and it, it bothers me when, when I hear those, those lies being told yeah. as, as they are truth. You know? and, it's, and it's it's a hard so that, spot. That's why I cooperated with her. So what? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard spot for you or anybody in your position who has committed like those crimes like that because you're already perceived negative in the public's eyes. So when those negative those lies come out, once they're in the media, it's like who are they really going to believe? He's like, you know, are we really going to yeah. believe that guy? Yeah, yeah, he, he's not denied anything. You know, so if, if he's like, listen, I'm yeah. not denying X, Y, and Z that got me here. But I didn't say this or this. I mean, that, that just made up and that's fiction. But at that point, it's like it's too late. It's out there. No one's going to you know, not believe. Well, hopefully now, you know, there are audience listening. You know, hopefully now they really can understand. Listen, I ain't denying any of this stuff. But I didn't. You know, my van didn't have a nickname. And my, the burial site, so to speak, wasn't, you know, I didn't call it my garden, nothing like that. And, and uh, at least to get the truth out there. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's horrible when people do stuff like that. And uh, and with another thing we yeah. the another myth and I, I've told many people this too and especially a lot of the uh, you know some of the you know some of my female followers who wanted a pen pal you know who I got to talk to you they're like oh you know the victims were women and he hates women I'm like Bill loves women <laughs> don't get that twisted you know there, there's some things that went down but the last thing that Bill is is a woman hater Bill loves women more than I love women and I love women <laughs> you know. And uh, that's just that's just a myth. I'm like, no, that's that's he had a very specific. Yeah, you know, there was an issue that he had. I think it was like somebody ripped you off, yeah. right? Was a prostitute ripped you off or stole your money or something well, my, like that? that the you... issue I had, the issue I had was I loved to get my ding dong sucked on. And when I moved to Connecticut, it seemed like prostitutes were everywhere. Uh, okay. And for twenty dollars, I could pick up this girl that I'd never met. She'd suck on my ding dong, let me play with her boobies, maybe even get my finger wet. Mm-hmm. And and when I had my van, she might even pull her pants down far enough to slide up in her and mm-hmm. and all for twenty dollars and never even ask her, her name. Mm-hmm. For me that was a huge addiction and a huge turn on. And yeah. I wanted as many as I could pick up. If I was a millionaire, I would have tried to spend it twenty dollars at a time. Yeah. But like I say, I love getting my ding dong sucked on. And I love boobies. So, uh, you know what I mean? That's about every guy there is. Twenty dollars, so. <laughs> two, please. You know that's that's how I felt about it. Two, please. But then I had picked up this one, and while she was doing her thing, she took my wallet out of my pants. My pants were at my ankles. She took my wallet out of my pants, took all my rent money out of my wallet, and put my wallet back in my pants. Oh, no. I'm at the drive-through at Mickey D's getting me some lunch, and pull out my wallet and all my money's gone. So now I'm digging for change in the ashtray to pay, pay for 
to pay for my double cheeseburger. Oh, no. And, and I got rent due that day, and now oh. all my rent money is gone. And wow. it was that point I said, well, the next one I pick up owes me a whole bunch of sets. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what kicked it all off. Yeah. That, that was exactly it. I mm-hmm. wasn't abused by my mother. I came from a good <laughs> home, a good family. I didn't kill animals when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. It's just this one ripped me off my rent money, and I went off the rails. I said, the next one owes me. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 what kicked it all off. Yeah. And then the one, it's, it's, it's we, we don't want to say joke about it, but laugh about it now. But one of them gave you a little extra surprise. You're like, well, don't think this is a girl. <laughs> I don't know too many. I, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, that was... I don't know too many men that would not have. You know, yeah. sorry if I'm offending the listeners. Beat the hell out of them. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's that's something and, and yeah, that's going to freak any guy out. I mean, that's... To, to the best of my knowledge, there's only been one man to ever suck on my dick, and the state <laughs> refers to him refers to him as victim number three. Yeah, <laughs> because as soon as I found out. It was a man. It was all of it. And I was, I was actually pissed off because now I had to dig another hole in the woods and I didn't even get to get my rocks off. Uh, <laughs> I, I was kind of upset. But. <laughs> but yeah, I can't imagine. He, he fooled me. And you know what I mean? I, I was fooled. He had a wig on and dressed up like a girl and all that shit. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he fooled me, but he won't fool nobody else. And, mm-hmm. you know, that. But. It's, it's, I've never had a thing for trainees yeah. that I know of. You know what I mean? yeah. Not that I know of. <laughs> well, you're still young. You got a, you got a couple I, good I years left. I don't think I was yeah. ever fooled. I don't think I was ever fooled prior to that. Yeah, I you hope never I know. Wasn't, but, you, know <laughs> you never know. I, I, I mean, I got fooled that night. I put my hand on top of his head, and its wig came off. And that's oh, when no. I realized, you know what I mean? Hey, this ain't no chick. Uh, yes. <laughs> I just... I just went the hell off. It's like the, but, the Crocodile and, Dundee and, movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, another thing I wanted to, to touch on is there's a preconception that because all my women, I mean, all my victims were women that, like you said, people just assumed that I had a thing with women. But I've, I've never beat or, or struck any girlfriends or anything like that. Mm-hmm. When, when I was under investigation, after I've been arrested or whatever, the police, the detectives, they contacted every ex-girlfriend that they could possibly dig up and oh, interview, wow. hoping that they would find one that I could put my hands on. And a lot of them, even that I ended that badly with, were like, oh, he's just a big teddy bear or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, I mean, not all of them had good things to say about me because you know, sometimes I could drink and sometimes I could be an asshole, but mm-hmm. I never put my hands on them and I wasn't raised to do that. So sure. mm-hmm. that the, the preconception that, that I must be a woman dad or, or hate women or, or something like that is, is completely off base, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's important to get that out there. I mean, cause that's, you know, what the yeah. public, the public will make a, um, have an opinion. You know, just by reading from a yeah. far distance facts and then think one thing. I was like, listen, it's, you know, it might have snapped, but it's not because of, again, didn't torture animals, had a great, good childhood. No, nothing was crazy like that. Um, yeah. yeah, it's important, important to get that out there. And, uh, and when, you, when you first got there, I mean, what was the adjustment like? 
You know, it's always I'm always curious to find out or listen and hear somebody's mental state where once you I want to say I don't think you ever settle in so much so to speak into prison. But what was like the first after the sentencing, you got to the real prison. You're not in jail anymore. You're in the prison. What was like the first few months to the first year like for you to adjusting to, you know, really the new home, so to speak? How was that transition for you? Well, that's that's kind of hard to, to answer because I had, I had I've been locked up in my 20s down in Virginia for for traffic violations, and I actually served six years in prison in Virginia mm. for three counts of driving as a habitual offender on a suspended license. Ah, okay. So I, I I knew what prison was like already. Mm-hmm. Now it was an adjustment coming to terms that I was never going to get out of here, that my only way out now is in a body bag. Yeah. Now, that, that took a little bit to come to terms to, but even when I was first arrested in 2005, I've been locked up since 2005, and I originally was, was charged with a murder case for a missing persons case, and I ended up getting 15 years out of that case. And... um so even when I first got locked up, I could see light at the end of the tunnel, and I was, you know, hoping that I would be out of here mm-hmm. in, in 15 years. Yeah. But during that time, all, all these other things popped up, and uh, now I'm not. Yeah. So, uh, definitely crazy. So it, yeah. You know, so after it all popped up and everything, mm-hmm. you know, I, I knew I was done, and I just you know, I just had to come to terms with it. Right? Yeah. You have to because there's there's no other choice. You have to. That's my only option. Sure. No, the I, only the only question is how long how long of a sentence is gonna be, you know? Yeah. Every night I go to sleep I hope it's my last night. Mm-hmm. No, and even talk briefly, you don't have to go, you know, too much into detail, but I know, you know, from a lot of the men and women I talk to, obviously, you know, there's severe depression there. Like you said, sometimes you just don't want to wake up. But talk just a little bit about, not necessarily our our friendship, but the importance of people, you know, reaching out to you. Um, somebody, when you wake up, to you, hey, I got a couple emails, you're building relationships, uh, to where you're waking up every day to nobody to talk to. You know, obviously, you know, really, really depressed. But when yeah. somebody does reach out to you, and, you know, like myself or other people, Talk a little bit about almost like that little bit of a light do you have where, yeah, yeah it's still, well, it's still that, depressing, but at least there's something that we have something to look forward to, something to look up to, just so I can you know encourage everybody else to reach out, you know, to not just yourself, but to anybody across the country. How important is that to yeah. have something like that for you? It's, it's, it means a lot because my parents have been dead for over 30 years, and I have no friends or family on the outside that are in contact with me. So all I have is people that have reached out to me since I've been in here. And 99% of those are fake. They come and go, they're chasing headlines, they want yeah. this, they want that, they mm-hmm. grow tired. Mm-hmm. So if if I get a couple that, that are genuine and I can wake up and they just started e-messaging, I've just gotten access to that within the last two or three months. And uh, to wake up in the morning and have a message from somebody is is a really good feeling. 
and and can brighten my whole day. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I have one or two that that really hang in there and and are really good to me, and I get a message from every day, and I'm I'm very thankful to have that. So. Unfortunately, yeah, you're stuck with me. <laughs> I couldn't be the hot, couldn't, I couldn't be the hot blonde. You got stuck with a dude, fifty year old dude. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really really nice to to wake up and and check my messages and and find that I've got a message. You know, mm-hmm. that, that really makes my day from the start. It really adds really good start to the day. So yeah, and... unfortunately, I don't I don't get enough of that. I wish I could wake up and have two or three messages instead of none or maybe one, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to be thankful for what I have, you know? Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely. And with, uh... it, it, it definitely is, is, is having people to talk to is definitely good because mm-hmm. I'm in a situation where I don't even see a car. You know what I mean? I don't even see a house. I go to the uh, the hospital every six months or so for for an eye examination because I've got early stages of glaucoma. And when I was growing up, we had this dog that if you said "want to go" or you shook the car keys, the dog would go nuts. You know what I mean? You open the door, the dog runs straight out to to the car. He's overjoyed, ready to go for a ride. Mm. Being in here. Now I know how the dog felt. Yeah. So I'm that dog when they say, how? <laughs> yeah. You're, go- you're going to Yukon for an eye exam. I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm ready to go, you know. Uh, my tail's wagging. I'm, I get to see. <sighs> my hope is, hey, maybe I'll get to see somebody pumping gas today. Yeah. Because sure. I don't see that. Yeah. All I see out of my window is razor wire, the tops of a few trees, and some sky. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my life, twenty four seven. I don't see cars going down the road. I'm amazed by that. Yeah, of course. I don't see people pumping gas. I don't see houses. I don't get an ice cube. I haven't had an ice cube in years. Oh, yeah. Things that people never even think of. Oh man, the taste of a soda. Mm-hmm. Uh, pour a soda over a glass of ice. That's, I haven't had that in years. Yeah. To sleep in a, a, a real bed instead of a gym mat on a steel bunk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like I say, just seeing somebody pump gas. Yeah. Is amazing to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love it. So, to have a little bit of outside contact yeah. is is a lot. Mm-hmm. Is a lot. When you have no friends and family of your own and, and you're dependent basically upon strangers for their kindness, you appreciate that. Yeah. So you said even when you go outside, it's not like you have a view of the forestry outside. <laughs> you know, basically oh, absolutely it's, not. it's Tell everybody what, what the view is outside when you when you get to go out, quote unquote, outside. Basically, you were just, breaking up there. I couldn't hear you. I said, "What is the when you go outside?" I said, "People think there might be. Oh, I can see trees. I can see this. Right. It's basically concrete, is what you see. 
you know, when you go out into your yard, isn't exactly, you when know. Our rec yard, our, our, our rec yard is connected to our housing unit. So they open a door and we can go out for two one hour periods a day. So we can go outside two hours a day when they don't screw us out of it and when the weather permits. They love to screw us out of it. Mm-hmm. But when we do go out, it's approximately 40 feet wide maybe about 75 feet long. It's all black top. Two walls are four-story buildings, prison. And then there's a 10-foot concrete wall topped by five foot of razor wire. So there's, there's some trees off in the distance that we can see the tops of that are probably about maybe 50, 100 yards away from the perimeter fence. You can see the top half of those trees, and that's it. You can see an airplane fly by in the yeah. sky. Mm-hmm. That's, that's our rec yard. My feet, I can't tell you the last time my feet walked in the grass, other than the little bit of grass that's growing up through a crack in, in the blacktop. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I, I can't tell you the last time my feet Mm-hmm. And, and you know that's 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 all my life is ever going to be. That's that's the depressing part. Of course, As I said, uh, I'm locked in my cell over 20 hours a day, mm-hmm. and it's it's my reality is that these four walls are all my life is ever going to be. So I'm very grateful when somebody reaches out to me and, and yeah. shows me some kindness. Oh. I just wish there were more people that were genuine with it yeah. instead of people out with their own, own ulterior motives. Oh, yeah. I'll have to send you more pictures of me to hang up on your <laughs> on your wall. <laughs> You'll be stuck with me. <laughs> I, mean, more I, did, de- I did like the food pictures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He'll send pictures of me and make it more depressed. It's like, oh, God, no. <laughs> Not more of him. <laughs> uh, actually, I find that stuff inspirational, though. It doesn't, it doesn't depress me. Mm. It, uh, I find inspiration in it. I, I've actually got pictures of cheeseburgers mm. hanging on my wall. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Definitely yeah. good. <laughs> and, you know. At least now, too, you have – I mean, I've been telling everybody how awesome these tablets are. And, and it's, there's a couple, a couple different companies, GTL, JPay, Securus. Um, but at least with the tablets, you know, you can make phone calls from from your cell, what you call the house in your home. Um, yeah. And some have I'm, games I'm and movies. I'm my tablet right now. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, the, what, the what, phone call to you is, is being made off of my tablet. Mm-hmm. And, then and uh, what other features do you have on your tablet? Uh, like you said, we can we can buy games and and we can rent movies and TV shows and and music. Um, you know, I I live on a very meager budget, so a lot of that is is luxuries that that I don't really get to enjoy or whatever. But you know, I I, I live on a I get eleven dollars a week. I've got a little trust fund thing set up where. I get $150 every three months, and there's 13 weeks in, in a three-month period. So if you do the math, that comes out to right around $11 a week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's that's my budget. So 
I mean, it, it gets me most of what I need, you know, and I'm, I'm very thankful to have it because if it wasn't for that, I ought to have zero dollars a month, which yeah. is, you know, $11 worse than where I'm at now. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very thankful to have that, and, uh, you know, it doesn't, even if I did have money, I probably wouldn't get movies because you just rent them and, and when you watch it, once you press play, it's gone in two days, you know, uh, so yeah, yeah. wasting money to watch a movie that's, that's months and months old mm-hmm. on, a, on a little six inch screen, you know, mm-hmm. is a waste of money to me so, anyway. I can, I can buy other things with, it, with that movie money. But, yeah. Like spicy sausage, you know, for the, like spicy sausage for the gravy, for the pasta. One of the things that I try to fit into my budget, because, um, <laughs> of course, I, I do make spaghetti from time to time, and I do make awesome spaghetti. Oh, I, yeah. I can make awesome. Spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can kind of create it with my little little hot pot that I have. Mm-hmm. I can I can create it. I can make I can make rice krispie treats that look like they come from the bakery, oh. and I can make those almost for free. You know, so all I really have to buy is a container of marshmallow that they sell on the commissary and a chocolate bar and a little pack of peanuts. The Rice Krispies I can get for free off of the breakfast trays and, and the peanut butter because I mix peanut butter into the fluff. That's my secret recipe. When I melt the fluff, I mix the peanut butter into the fluff. I get that <laughs> off of the peanut butter and jelly trays that we have. So uh, yeah. the breakfast using the peanut butter I get for free. So. Now I'm hungry. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm hungry now. <laughs> yeah. I, I make enough where I get two batches out of it, and I sell one batch to cover my cost, and I get my batch for free. Ah, perfect. Um, That's yeah. definitely perfect. <laughs> for sure. What uh, What are some of the movies or TV shows you like to watch there? Have any favorites? <laughs> Well, I've got my little TV. I got. I watch my Big Brother. I watch the Challenge. I like the Amazing Race. I like Funny Home Videos, Survivor. I like um a lot of the documentary shows, Modern Marvels, and a lot of the war history or stuff like that. And I don't watch too many dramas or I don't watch too many comedies. There's a couple of comedies that I like, but not too many. I like the, the show Young Sheldon. Uh, like I said, I'm caught up into the Big Brother because that's three nights a week, and uh, oh, I hated okay. it last night because the, the, they had a little hottie on there. Uh-huh. They had nice boobies that was nice <laughs> to look at running around in her little bikini, uh-huh. and she got voted off. Oh, <laughs> I'm, the... I'm going to miss watching her run around. <laughs> oh, the bastards! Yeah. <laughs> How dare they? Oh yeah, that's a lot of you bastards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was this flamboyant homo that headed the brigade to, to get her voted out, too. So. Oh, that yeah. sucks. Yeah. Take all the fun away I'm out of it. Yeah, <laughs> but they have little, you know, do little interviews with her throughout the week or whatever, and all her little interviews. Very pretty uh, bikini on, and she was very attractive, and I'm going to miss seeing her run around. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I haven't seen that show in years. Yeah. Like Survivor, I like. I got to catch yeah. up on Survivor. I like that reality. There's a lot of reality shows I like. Survivor is always good or alone. Yeah, I, I think I like the Amazing Race out of the mm-hmm. dust out of all of them. But I've been watching 
big brother and survivor since before I got locked up. You know, I've been watching them for 20 years now, so mm-hmm. there's there's not many seasons or episodes that I've missed of that. So sure, that's that's usually what I what I, I watch. Mm-hmm. Friday night tonight, there's there's nothing on really for me to, to uh, watch. In gotcha. fact, I didn't even. I watched the evening news at six thirty, and uh, I cut my TV off at seven o'clock. Uh, I, I played my little Pokemon game. Oh, there you go. But uh, yeah, I was playing Pokemon, and I stopped to check my messages, and I saw saw your email message saying that you were home and to give you a call. So I called you up. Cool. Oh, definitely, I definitely appreciate it. What uh, what kind of music do you yeah. have on there? I mean, I, I know what you like. I'm just for well, everybody else can listen. I know. Yeah, I grew up to the old Ozzy and Metallica and Iron Maiden, but I like mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, alternative rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of the 90s stuff like Zombie and Godsmack and you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The Offspring, I like them. The oh, yeah, Offspring yeah. had quite a few songs that I like. And, and there's some of the alternative stuff. So. No, I, I, so I got some of that downloaded. Yeah. Now, I already know your answer to this, and I know you don't mind talking about it because I don't mention food with people because no, yeah. you can make them depressed. But if if you could have anything, like meal-wise, like an appetizer, a meal, or you know, a couple meals and a dessert, what would they be? Like, if you have ever, right now, snap your fingers, what do you think you would have for that? What, what's your mouth begging for? <laughs> and, I, and I'm only asking because I know we're, it's cool to talk about. I don't, I don't say this to a lot of people because I get real upset. Yeah. you know. But no, I know I can say it with you. So what would it be uh, – your meal and dessert of choice as we wrap up. Ironically, and people will be upset that I didn't choose better food, but I would always be up for some Arby's and some Pizza Hut. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> that's yep. awesome. Oh, Arby's that's... and some Pizza Hut. <laughs> I, I often joke around that, that if I ever busted out of here, they could catch me at the local Arby's trying to trade ramen soups for beef and cheddar. <laughs> I often joke about that. Now, if I ever got out of here, all they have to do is stake out the local Arby's, and I'd be in there trying to trade ramen soups for beef and cheddar. So, <laughs> there you go. You know, uh, it's perfect timing. And, and I know that I know that if they if I did bust out, they would be telling lies about me. They'd be saying serial killer escapes in Connecticut is on the run. That would be a flat-out lie. Yeah. I'd be on the slow walk somewhere. Yeah. I yeah. would not be on the run. Exactly. <laughs> I would be on the slow walk. <laughs> right to the Arby's into the Pizza Hut. Yeah. He's going yeah. for more victims. Right. He's not going for more victims. He's yeah. going for the Pizza Hut. Trust me. <laughs> exactly where yeah. he's going. Apprehended at local Arby's trying yeah. to trade ramen soups for beef and cheddar. <laughs> All right, well, there you go. Uh, first episode in season two of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I always enjoy talking to Bill. Um, I've been talking to him, I got. I don't have any months now, uh, maybe almost a year. Uh, almost on a daily basis, I talked about. I mean, there's, there's countless people that I, I talk to uh, through email, throughout the week, um, through phone calls. Um, but Bill's one of my favorites. Um, again, I like to try to inspire people. Uh, encourage them. I know there's a lot of people who don't understand what I do. Uh, I've been involved in prison rehabilitation and outreach most of my life. Um, some of these men and women are going to be released one day. Um, now, obviously, we just talked to more of the popular, so you know, famous ones, so to speak. Um, but 
punishment style of reinforcement that our American prison systems usually offer, they don't work in rehabilitation. You know, a lot of psychopathic people are not deterred by fear, uh, but they are deterred by reward and kindness. So I show people kindness. Um, all about rehabilitation. I mean, you heard. Uh, he didn't get into too much detail, but um, Bill was extremely suicidal, uh, extremely depressed. We would talk mostly about uh, do not resuscitate the laws in Connecticut. Um, he would say, if I just happen to slip on a banana peel, now what is my rights to not be resuscitated? Like, he just wanted to die. Um, but through our friendship, and not that I'm anybody special. I just write to encourage people. Uh, but you heard a sense of humor. He, was, he wasn't like that when we first started talking, uh, laughing and joking around. Yes, I know we're talking to somebody, you know, a serial killer or not, and you might think it's warped and twisted. And, well, this is probably not the podcast for you. Um, but a little bit like that. Like, yes, I know Bill's not getting out. Um, but a lot of the men and women I do talk to, or even going to your local jail, local facility, outreach programs, love and kindness goes a long way. Uh, in somebody's rehabilitation. Um, again, that's kind of what I do what I do. Uh, but you can see the you know the happiness in, in his voice. Um, he has some pen pals I hooked him up with now, um, even even a few more. Uh, recently, this podcast I recorded maybe uh, uh, about a month ago. Um, so if anybody wants to write Bill, uh, especially females, I mean, he loves talking to females a little more than men. If you're a man, yeah, he'll write you too, but he probably would <laughs> prefer female. Um, send me a message, but it's something you got to commit to, not just one or two messages and disappear, like he was saying, because that, that can be very disheartening and discouraging. Um, but, you know, but stick with it. Uh, send me a message. You guys know how to get me a hold of me on social media, either Keith Revere or just type in the lightest side of serial killers. I'm, I, I'm pretty much everywhere. Um, Again, don't forget to share this podcast, uh, subscribe, give it five stars. We're on all the major podcast hosting networks. Uh, and again, thanks, everybody, uh, for checking in. This is your first time. Welcome aboard to this crazy ride that we call The Lighter Side of Serial Killers. I'm your host, Keith Rivera. And until next time, see ya! See ya!